Mobility is the hot topic these days, especially at an automotive conference like the Management Briefing Seminars. Join today's panel in Traverse City, Michigan, as they discuss the hardware that will dominate the mobility services arena we all keep hearing about. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine This Week. We're in Traverse City, Michigan for the Management Briefing Seminars, one of the preeminent conferences in the automotive industry. And I've got three people here, three experts in the industry, to talk all about mobility and where that might be taking this industry. My guests today include Larry Dominique, he's with PSA North America, Michael Robinet is with IHS Market, and John Borniak is with SEMA, the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. And I want to thank all three of you. Marketing Association. Marketing Association. So thank you, all three, for joining Pleasure. us here today. Pleasure, Michael, let's start with you. There's all this talk about ride sharing and car sharing, ultimately uh, autonomous cars. Some people are saying this is going to destroy the automotive market as we know it, that car sales are going to crash when everybody starts sharing them. What's your outlook? Uh, none of the above. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a transition. Some people think it's going to transition more quickly. Others think it's going to transition more slowly. There's going to be a transition. Every system in the vehicle is going to be impacted, mm -hmm. either through autonomous or going to electrification or the combination thereof, which the combination is obviously important. Every system is going to change. That means the supply base is going to change, the value equation is going to change, the OEM, how they develop vehicles and how quickly and the cadence, that's all going to change. But nonetheless, we're still going to have ICE engines for a very, very long period of time. It's going to be a combination. And actually a very small percentage, growing but small, is going to be a battery electric with no engine on board whatsoever. So I think mm. we should be ready for a longer term future with the ICE still involved. And ICE, for those who don't know, of course, internal combustion engine. Yes. Larry, you're actually tasked with bringing Peugeot or PSA back to the American market, North American market, with mobility services. So how do you see this whole move to mobility playing out? Yeah, I actually agree with Michael. The, the reality is in the United States, you know, six, 260 million cars on the road, 17 million car sales a year. It's going to take decades for any new technologies, autonomous, BEVs, yep. to become a relevant part of the market, market space itself. But from a mobility point of view, today we know about 17% of cars are fleeted, 60, 83% are retailed. That mix is going to change with the mobility solutions. We want to be a key part of that. But we know in this Amazon world that we live in today, there's a changing consumer expectation about transportation. Some people want traditional, they love cars, they're passionate. Other people say, I never want to own a car, but the reality is, in this country, we're not a mass transit country. We need to get around, we need transportation, and it's up to the OEMs to provide not only the products, but the services that complement that. Mm -hmm. And John, of course, you look at the, the aftermarket. How is it going to play a role as all this technology rolls out? Wide open. I think the, the first thing will be, can you actually modify or customize a car and keep it in compliance? with all these systems on board. They're probably uh, what I call basically five mega tech trends. Certainly have the ADAS, Advanced Driver Assist System, Blind Spot Warning, uh, Adaptive Cruise Control, Automatic Emergency Braking. That's on board a lot of the vehicles today. Uh, connected vehicle technologies like vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications, vehicle-to-infrastructure. So you got ADAS, connected vehicle. Then you have the vehicle electrification that Michael was talking about. Then you move a little bit further and then you get into basically the automated autonomous systems. And what's that going to do the aftermarket? And then certainly the mobility services. And what do you think is going to happen? How will the aftermarket oh gosh, respond a, to this? Well, we actually already are. We have actually a study with CAR here you know, at Traverse City to uh, what is the impact of all these technologies on the aftermarket. 
Uh, certainly we're looking first at the retrofit market. Can we put like rear view backup cameras on a vehicle that didn't have it as it came from the factory? That's fairly easy. We'll call that the low hanging fruit. But as we get into some of these th uh, systems, active safety systems, that requires quite a bit of systems integration, systems engineering. That's kind of a shut door right now. So you have to develop the engineering capability and you have to know what you're doing and do it the right way. Yeah. Michael, even though mobility services, autonomy at all, may not affect new car sales right around the corner, the ride-sharing business is growing by leaps and bounds all over the world. Sure. The automotive industry, of course, is an industry predicated on scale. Automakers need to make millions and millions and millions of cars to pay for this big upfront investment that they have to make on it. I, I would think that even a slight drop in the market is going to start to cause pain for this industry. You know, it's interesting. One thing that we're seeing is the number of new engine programs after, let's say, 2020, 2021, dropped precipitously. Why? Because mm. the OEMs are standing back going, okay, I've developed a whole bunch of new engines. In fact, Ford and GM and Chrysler all have brand new engines launching between 18 and 20, at least in this market. Mm. Toyota and Honda as well. After that, they're probably thinking, well, I've got to use my capital towards electric motor technology, battery technology, I've got to continue to, to differentiate. So I do agree, I think one of the problems is, is how big are those bets going to be, how much are they, and what technologies are going to bet on, and battery technology is going to change much more swiftly than engine technology. And that's, the, that's one of the big unknowns within the industry and how the OEMs are going to treat that. You think the Gigafactory is going to help with that? It will, but, but we need at least 11 or 12 more of them. Uh, that's the Whoa. other problem is we don't have enough battery capacity given the regulations that are being talked about. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's a major disconnect there. And the reality is tied into mobility, most car sharing services as you know today are in urban centers, right? Yeah. They're in big cities where electrification actually makes more sense. Yes. You know, the range isn't an issue, the, the infrastructure is a little bit, it's complicated because they have to build it, but it's easier to use electrified vehicles inside urban centers. So I do believe mobility will lean more towards electrification in general mm -hmm. than the general marketplace. Yeah. Well, you're going to be providing mobility services. Are you looking at doing that with electric vehicles? We, we certainly are, John. We're looking at the entire spectrum. For example, depending on what type of mobility service you're going to offer, if you're offering a service where people can borrow the vehicles or rent the vehicles for days, electrified vehicles are more of a challenge. But if it's a closed loop or a free-floating system within an urban center, electrification makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, you, Larry, is moving to mobility services. Uh, you know, basically the way we grew up, cars were works of art, power, fashion, access, and fun. <clears throat> I wonder if the autonomous era, as we're entering to now with some of the vehicles, and with, you know, basically ownership, usership, and sharing, will there still be a love for the cars? Will there be a uh, autonomous automotive lifestyle that gets created? Boy, you're hitting to the heart of my heart. Yeah. You know, <laughs> as an industry guy who loves cars his entire life, grew up in this industry, it's interesting. When I look at the entire car park and the shift towards a percentage of mobility, towards retail, autonomy, I, I've talked to all the autonomous com you know, automotive producers or mm -hmm. producing the technology. Sure. It's going to take decades and decades and decades yeah. to have enough autonomous roads, uh, cars on the road, to influence the car park whatsoever. Absolutely. But even at the, at the end of the day, I still believe 20, 30 years from now, there's going to be 40, 50, 60% of the cars are sold the way they're sold today, meaning between a consumer who wants a branded element or a mm -hmm. branded vehicle and someone who's passionate for that. But private ownership. Yeah. Private ownership. Yeah. But when you put these vehicles in mobility services, they can be much more ubiquitous. 
Yeah. The brand is a lot less important when it's just sitting there on the curb and just being rented on an hourly basis than it is for someone who invests that thirty, forty thousand dollars. I look at someone who gets on a school bus. They don't care what kind of school bus. It's yellow. Correct. They don't care what color it is as long as it gets them to school. But I, I think obviously the Mercedes and the Porsches and the Lexus brands of the world, they're gonna want customers to want differentiation. That's gonna be critical to driving value in this market. Yeah. Well in fact Rolls Royce showed its vision for what a level five fully autonomous car would be. It's very highly styled. So that tells me, certainly as they look into the future, people will own their own autonomous cars and styling is still going to count for a lot. Well, the, Absolutely. The, the, yeah. the brand itself, for me when I'm positioning a new brand in North America, it's all about the brand positioning, right? I can produce the mobility services under our brand, I can produce ubiquitous vehicles put in mobility, but I've got to have beautiful, stylish, French DNA vehicles that go on the U.S. market if I want to have people want to buy and emotionally be attached to my products. Well, like we said, the brand, how do you differentiate an autonomous vehicle? Is it going to be through the software? I mean, uh, it's kind of like Leah Curry talked about yesterday here at the seminars. Uh, can't wait for that country song to come out where basically, you know, the car leaves the guy, it's raining, it crossed the railroad tracks, you know, something happens. So, you know, we heard a lot of songs about cars. What's it going to be? If, you know, your robocar. What's well, the song about robocar? Robo-love? I, I talk, Robo love. I talked to somebody who's deep into this autonomous uh, technology, and they said, you know, today or the world we grew up in, we'd brag about my car is faster than your car. What she said in the yeah. future we're going to be bragging about is my car is more autonomous than yours. Or smarter so than you, yours. Well, no autonomous because yours might be able to go down the freeway, ah. but mine's going to be able to go across the football field for the tailgate party, and yours can't do that. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're, we're going to see a change in, in that regard. But, but I think but. when we talk about autonomous, there's, I worked a couple years ago with World Economic Forum on a mobility um, workshop. And what we were talking about was infrastructure. It's not just the cars. It's do you have parking that's autonomous? Do you have toll gates that are truly autonomous? So there's an infrastructure element to really mm -hmm. marry the autonomous technology with the world around us. And they were talking, in, in LA alone, it was like a trillion dollar right. investment, just in LA. So these things have to converge together over time. And mm -hmm. I'm probably a little too old to say I'm going to see the end game. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's going to require this marrying of infrastructure, governments, yeah. and, and, and providers. Yeah. You bring up a good point, John, when uh, you know, smarter versus autonomous. A lot of people think, well, the smart car is a smartphone on wheels. But an autonomous phone puts that in context. It, yeah, a smartphone you can understand, but an autonomous car is even further out on that spectrum. That's yeah. interesting. It's also interesting to understand what really is going to be differentiating vehicles in the future. So exterior styling, interior styling, interior flexibility, but it's also going to be part of that service. Maybe Rolls-Royce picks you up. Maybe you can get a Rolls-Royce level five, pick you up and drop you off at, at the country club and it only goes to the country club or something like that. There's going to be different levels of differentiation versus what we see today. Well, let's talk to the guy that's going to sell mobility services. Do you see a stratification of services? El cheapo to a Rolls-Royce level of, a, of service. You, you definitely could. I mean, we already see there are companies out there today that there's one company I've dealt with that does subscription-based ownership, and they have three different levels, and it's literally stratis, stratified mm -hmm. from a standpoint of demographics, right? Okay. But also the vehicles that are used in each one of those stratuses varies, right? The comfort level, the quality, and everything else. But when I look at the services side as well, it's not just the car and providing the mobility services for the car. It's how do I service, how do the people get the vehicle serviced? 
How is how is it? How are they taken care of on a personal basis? If that car has to go in for service, what other services do I offer them to provide them something in the meantime? So it has to be a completely connected service. Today we engage on the OEM side with a customer about every five years. Buy a car, wait, 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 buy a car, right? And we try to engage with them on the immediate, but it's mostly the dealers engaging with them. Now we have the opportunity to engage and help them with their life cycle through the entire ownership mm. process. Michael, you said something interesting about uh, the flexibility of interiors is going to change with autonomous cars or even ride sharing. Go a little bit deeper into your thoughts on that. Well, I'm going to steal a concept from someone a lot of us know, Larry Burns. And, and Larry Who used to run R&D at General used Motors. R&D at GM. And, and Larry said something very interesting in a recent conference that I was at. He said, if you're in a geofenced environment and you know that none of the vehicles are going to be able to hit each other and they'll be able to evade pedestrians and all, all of that, there's no real need for all the safety equipment that you have on today's vehicles. Mm. They estimate that probably over half of the mass of the vehicle could go away. If you really think about front and rear collision, side collision, rollover, all the safety content. Now, I'm not saying that as you sit in your seat, they may not want you to put a seatbelt on just for kicks and giggles, but the flexibility of being able to turn your seat and, and different options within the, within the vehicle, the interior is going to be increasingly a major differentiator versus even the exterior going forward. But that has to be in a universe where every vehicle around Absolutely. you it's is the same. It's got to be geofenced, I agree. Yeah. Right. And, that, right. and that's, I, I agree that's unique and that's isolated, yeah. but that very well could be a situation in the future. Well, when you think about cities, especially in Europe, talking about banning internal combustion engine vehicles mm -hmm. uh, and the congestion pricing that's right. already been used in London, you, you could see that's not a too difficult stop no. or, or step to take no. to say only autonomous vehicles can operate in this area. Right. John, I want to I, I get your thoughts on this idea of how important the interiors are going to become, because I would think that the aftermarket would be all over this. Absolutely. It's basically the experience. Uh, is it a driver experience, a passenger experience, or a transportation, mobility experience, whatever it may be? And I would think uh, the initial stages of the mobility would be for events. You're going to a, like a football game or a motorsports event, taking that as your Uber, your Lyft, or but then it will become, I think, daily drivers, uh, where you don't have to own the car. You get to use the car, subscription, model, if you will. And whatever that interior happens to be, am I going to stay connected? Am I going to work? Am I going to be entertained? That's just a whole wide era between the clash and the mashing of consumer electronics and the automobile lifestyle. What's that going Which to be? Which would imply, maybe I want to drive a pickup truck this week, and maybe I want to drive a sporty two-door next week, and maybe I want to drive a, an SUV the third week. Exactly. It's no longer just about a vehicle anymore. Right. Yeah. Or it's a vehicle with a reconfigurable interior. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. Very modular. Because yeah. the, vehicle, it, it, the vehicle may go three times longer than what we expected right now. What's the average vehicle, 150, 200,000 miles? Mm -hmm. What if it goes half a million? Like a cab in New York, where of course the same seat that it came out with is not the same seat that it retired with. So if you think about almost replaceable interiors and being able to modify the vocation of the vehicle going forward, that actually is a very real possibility as well. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think interiors are going to have to be designed for quick and easy service yeah. because, you know, if on a high-end luxury car today, if you want to replace the carpeting, let's say the carpeting gets all scuffed and worn out, on a high-end luxury car at the dealer, it costs about $5,000 yeah. because they have to disassemble almost the entire True. interior and then reassemble it again. They're not designed for easy replacement. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to have to change. Valerio, I, I want to ask you, because I get asked this all the time when I talk about you know, ride sharing and mobility and where it's going. The general public out there goes, yeah, but 
what if somebody spilled their Coke on the seat? Uh, what if somebody threw up in the back seat? How are you going to make sure that the cars that you deliver to people are nice and clean? Yeah, it's a great question. If you look at most of the car sharing services out there today, the Zip Cars, Cartagos, Reach Nows of the world, they have there's different terminology that are used. Some are called concierge, whatever it might be. But there's literally fleet management where the people have to go out and inspect the vehicles and make sure the vehicles are, are okay. And to your point, that's actually one of the most costly elements of managing a car sharing service, is you have to make sure the cars are in good shape. Sometimes you see them, they've got damage, they've got the graffiti, <laughs> they've mm -hmm. got other things, and, and you've got to make sure they're clean and they're fueled and they're ready to go, or if it's electric, that they're plugged mm -hmm. in, they're charged. So it, it does require logistics, and this is why some companies have struggled with car sharing and mobility services because there is a definite cost associated with one of these businesses. It's not only the cost of the vehicles, it's like if you have 500 vehicles in a fleet in a city like Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. you have to have a good 10 to 15% of those moving constantly to validate and to get enough business that you can afford the concierge and keeping them clean and stuff. So it really is this hand, handling the, the marketing and integration with the consumers. Are car dealers going to play a major role in this? And the reason I'm asking is if you're going to provide mobility services in every community, in every county, in every city, in every state, Who's got the locations to be able to do that? Car exactly. dealers do. Yeah. At least most car dealers are on the outskirts of the city though. And invariably you might need locations within the city where, where that vehicle is cycling around a lot more often. But nonetheless, you're right. Car dealers are ready and set to do that. And, and it's a combination of you can manage your own fleet management for the light stuff. Oil changes, tire repairs, those kinds. But warranty work, if, if you have a fleet of OEM vehicles, the warranty work needs to be done in most states by law at, at certified dealers. So you still have to have that relationship. Well, and a lot of these vehicles, uh, particularly, are going to be very software intensive. So you might have companies like uh, Safe Light Repair, Safety Glasses. I think we were talking earlier in the year of uh, where they do come out and do the software update while they're putting the new windshield in for you because it's connected to the rear view mirror system, the cameras, et cetera. So the whole vehicle gets recalibrated by someone like Safe Light Repair. Yeah, but why should they come out? I mean, Tesla already can do it over the air, and I got to believe that's exactly where the industry is going to go. It absolutely is. So, the next step is going to be what? Uh, are we going to see car companies designing cars specifically for mobility services and not for retail sale? I'd like to hear their response yeah. before. Okay, I Michael's not in his head. He's got the data. Absolutely, they will. So, I, I think I, I think the days of taking an existing vehicle and just sort of rebranding it, and putting some content on it. Uh, the OEMs know that that's probably not going to fly initially. They're going to have to find a way to separate these vehicles out, especially if it's in a geofenced environment. Um, now, that being said, there's mobility services, there's an autonomy. Autonomy, in some respects, is different because you know everybody's going to want autonomy, especially in some of the premium sectors. But from a, from a ride-sharing perspective, I, I do think that, and, and a lot of us within, within the forecast services, think that there are separate vehicles that are being designed just for those locations, to be honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your thoughts yeah. on that, John? Well, I think uh, local motors, Ollie, that's a great example. There's an autonomous eight-passenger bus or so, uh, powered by, or at least driven by, if you will, by IBM's Watson. What would a car equivalent of that look like? Because uh, Ollie, you know, it, as cool as it is, it, it's not sexy, it's not good looking. It's, you know, it's not something that's going to get a song written about it, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> so what's the autonomous car version of that look like? It's coming, and I, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jay doesn't do that. <laughs> Put that car together, yeah. too. And going, going back to what Michael said earlier about the, yellow, the school bus, the kids don't care who makes the school bus. 
the reality is mobility services are going to require certain, uh, how close can it get to the curb, how wide does the door open, how easy to get in and out of, how easy is it to communicate to the car. So I think OEMs are going to build, whether it's ubiquitous brands or third brands or fourth brands that are under their, right. their umbrella, but the vehicles that are used in these mobility services will not be, in my opinion, the normal ones that are used um, yeah. for private ownership and usage. Will they be separate brands or we think sub-brands? I mean. You know, it, it depends. If, if somebody pays a premium for a Peugeot or a Citroen vehicle, right, do I want yeah. them to go into the inner city of, of San Francisco or Boston and see this slightly dinged up, <laughs> a little bit dirty um, vehicle used in mobility with the same moniker on the front? I think the answer is no. Right. Yeah, I want to give I them a great experience in that usage, mm -hmm. but it, they're more about is it a great conveyance device, not does it have a, a Peugeot line on the front. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the auto industry isn't going to start to mimic more of the aviation industry in the sense that when I get on a jet, I don't know who made the jet. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's a card in the seat pocket and you mm -hmm. can see who made it. And I'll look at that at, out of curiosity, but I can't choose what fabrication of airplane I want to be on. Exactly. on. On the other hand, when you get into the more premium area, Oh yeah, like net jets and private jets and the like. That really counts for something. Exactly. Yeah, you rolling up in your G6 means something. Yeah, yeah a lot absolutely. of people. And I think it's the same thing. In mobility, it's more like the, the, the bus getting on a plane, you don't care what plane it is. But in private ownership, it's a very different thing because the brand doesn't matter. Yeah. So like your point about becoming more like the aircraft industry. Can you imagine, you know, we got the NCAP five-star rating for cars. Can you imagine you're, you're boarding that Delta aircraft, and you see it only has a three-star rating. What are you going to? You're going you're gonna to say I want my money back? You're going to run down to the United Gate. Exactly. No, I'm just joking. But you know so that will change. And I think it might go beyond just aircraft manufacturing, in the sense that I think in the U.S. we have now what three major airlines and a couple of uh, sub ones. And if you look around the world, is is this where the auto industry is going to go? Because does society really need? as many cars, as many brands, as many car companies as we have right now. It does no, it does not. It doesn't. So what's going to happen, Michael? Well, there's going to be a tremendous amount of consolidation. But again, that's, that's in a segment of the industry. We've got to remember that uh, we, can't, we have to be careful not to generalize and say it's all going to move this way. It's not. There's, you know, Larry mentioned earlier about what we call PACs, private autonomous cars. Those are still going to be a major portion of the industry. I own a car. If someone else wants to borrow it, then I send it over to them, and they can they can use it if they wish. But but that's not that's different than ride sharing. So there's mobility as a service. There's private autonomous cars, and then more of the traditional vehicles that we have on the roads today. Um, there's going to be a lot of different separations, but to answer your question, it's gonna, it is going to drive some consolidation. It absolutely will. There will, but keep in mind too, this is a global market. Right. 100 million sales a year globally, right? With emerging you know, economies, kind of the bricks of the world, and then the, the established Western economies. Mm. So the need for mobility is a different kind of thing in those emerging markets than it is here. And I think that'll play a big influence on what vehicles are produced and who absolutely. produces them. And business models, because you know, if you're going to put a car into mobility services, what's the residual value of that car? There probably is none. And if there is no residual value to it, boy, what does that do to your cost structure of how you charge for rides? It's, it's quite interesting. When you talk to mobility operators today, the residual value at the end of three or four years means a lot to them because they're depreciating the asset, but they have to dispose of it. If you build ubiquitous vehicles for mobility with no resale market, you literally have to drive those things so the wheels fall off. Right. Absolutely. Or have a disposal channel for those. 
and if they don't meet regulations or they're, they're designed for geofencing, what do you do with them? And that's why I come back to the analogy with the airlines, because especially using the military as an example, we're flying B-52s that are way older than the pilots who were flying them. Exactly. And all you have to do is update them. The airframe is solid enough to keep on going for decades. Will we see that with cars? I, I think if you, once you get to electrification and, and, and a full BEV, you, one can envision more of a platform idea where, where that is a lot more homogeneous between different vehicles. Just the battery size changes, the motor size changes, the width of the wheels change. There's some differences, but not like we see today where you know, vehicle structures are all over the place. And I think electrification is going to drive a more homogeneous uh, platform structure going forward. Well, Go ahead, John. And that's a great point about the, uh, what they call the airworthiness of the vehicle. As you mentioned with, with the B-52s that are 60 years old and 35-year-old pilot flying, the equivalent would be something I'll call a car worthiness. In the aircraft industry, 30% of the industry is aftermarket. They, the OEMs that build aircraft want it to be maintained for 20, 30-year life cycle. Can you imagine 30-year-old cars, autonomous cars out there? But there's one, another change too, although the FAA does change regulations on a, a fairly regular basis it's not the same kind of regulatory modification or change over time as we see in the automotive industry. Right. You can build an airplane 30 years ago and it's probably meeting most of the same standards that are required today. Exactly. Cars are a little different. A little bit different, but that's because we're still talking mostly private ownership. And nobody wants to own a 30 or 40 or a 60 year old car unless it's a classic. Yeah, classic. But fleets, totally different. You know, fleets run their operations to the penny to the mile. And they want to utilize 100%. The, always move. And if the wheels fall off at the end, Who's going to no be the problem. first legislature, legislator who says, we don't need all those safety things in a car? It's, mm -hmm. gonna, it's like we're saying, it's going to have to be a geofenced environment. Mm -hmm. You know, within a, a very defined structure that this only these vehicles are allowed So maybe on. a college campus, a college medical campus, campus an R&D campus, campus that kind of thing. With enough yeah. geofencing that it actually won't go outside the fence? Yes. Can't go outside the fence. Can't, Can't go outside it, the fence. It's kind of like a parent that owns a car that, uh, you know, their teenager's driving. You know, I know that you went to Joe's house. My <laughs> phone told me. I mean, it'll be the same thing. So. Well, like I said earlier, it's going, we're going to be bragging about my car is more autonomous than your car. <laughs> my geofence posts are much farther apart than your <laughs> geofence exactly. posts. Yeah. So the street credibility of that, I can go further than you can, so I'm allowed to. Boy, so a lot of excitement coming in a very short amount of time here. Really. Going, it's not going to be the industry that we all know. No, no the, the, the degree of change has just been exponential. And what did Yogi Berra say? The future ain't what it used to be? <laughs> <laughs> with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank all three of you. Larry Dominique with PSA North America, Michael Robinet with IHS Market, and John Warnigat with SEMA. Thank, thank you, John. guys. Very interesting discussion. Thanks, John. Cool.